family. Uh, so good to see everybody. I, I want to, um, with, with what we're going to share today, I just want to encourage just a few things. I got some ground rules now. Usually, I love expositing passages, but when we talk about the, uh, the resurrection, and if you need a Bible, we're going to look at um, John chapter 20. Uh, but what I want to ask you, um, actually, you can just look on screen. I want to ask you, we have, if you turn your, 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 your programs on the back, you can write notes down. But there's going to be a lot of stuff. And so I want to encourage you, actually, to try to just listen um, and try to understand uh, and, ask, and ask the Lord to allow our thinking to be more bibliocentric, uh, to just hear the story. Uh, and then what I w- would ask is that maybe you could uh, go back online if, if you want to fill in the holes or whatnot and write in notes. Um, in essence, what I'll do, too, is I'll maybe uh, provide notes and then Eric can eventually put those online. But I want to make sure as we're writing and trying to get everything down that we don't miss um, some of the key points of, of what we're trying to share as we try to understand a little more about the resurrection. OK, um, so with that said, um, we're going to look at uh, chapter 20 and what we're going to focus on is God's thinking about the resurrection. And so I say that, that and that's just uh, what that means. That the, the big word of that is theology of the resurrection, which is like, what, what does all this really mean? So we're going to go through some different aspects, okay, uh, through this. And I want to ask you guys another thing. Usually at MacAv, we ask questions. Uh, it's totally freed up to just raise your hand. I'm going to ask as, as, as much as we can to, to maybe not ask questions again. I know it's been two weeks in a row, so don't get nervous. Um, you'll be able to ask questions soon enough. But, uh, but just to sort of hear... Um, what some of the, the, the underlining or I would say overarching views are of the whole canon of all the scripture and how that informs our life today. OK. Uh, we're going to start uh, with John chapter 20. What happened on Easter? Uh, what what I do is I'll go ahead and read that and then we'll jump right in. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, and notice something, by the way, in your own personal time, whenever you, you see first week, and he's going to mention first week twice, and when you see that, that, that means something. I would suggest to you that he's, he's making it really clear that it's first week because he's talking about something new happening, that there is a, that there is a new creation, that there is a new beginning. Uh, you see this in John where he even stars off the book of John talking about this uh, in the beginning, which resonates with Genesis, uh, talking about that new beginning. And then he and in here, him talking about the first week a few times, it's not just simply just a, the next day, but he's really trying to help us understand that something new is happening. So he says, while it was dark, Mary Magdalene came, went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter uh, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Right? So you think somebody got him. We don't know uh, where they put him. Uh, So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Okay. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. So they're all just lying there, and he's not there. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Don't miss that verb tense there. That Jesus had to rise from the dead, okay? So what happened on Easter? I want to start just there real quick. Uh, We'll start with the story just to catch everybody up. 
uh, because we, we enter right here in the middle of an epic story. Okay, if we, we just back, let's backtrack a little bit. We backtrack with understanding creation. Uh, you, we understand, or I hope you understand, if not, the reality is, is that God created us out of love. Okay? He created us out of, out of, he wanted us to understand that we have dignity and purpose, that everybody in here has, is, of, is of worth because we're created in Christ. Uh, but what happens is, is we, we sin, and, and the Bible says that we have this, this weird audacity to think that we can be God, um, or that we can serve other guys, and then we sin, and then basically the fellowship with God was broken, the relationship with God was broken, we were marred, and that's why our first parents, Adam and Eve, and so the Bible says that then what we do is we become, we, we, we become sinful people, right, and that creation is marred. Now, what God could have done there, and totally righteous to do, was to destroy us all because he's holy and perfect, but he doesn't. What he does is he sends his son, um, and I'm, and I'm going I'm to fill in some gaps here. But just know, I'm going to give you the big picture. What he does, he sends his son, Jesus. All right, and this Jesus, what he's supposed to do, uh, he had the audacity to proclaim uh, or to assert that he was God's son. Uh, and that what he could do, that he had the power to, to forgive sin, to free people from sin, and to begin and usher in this, this new creation, this new sense of being. Okay, so, so at the very same time we have that happening, we got a parallel story of Satan. Satan is seeing and understanding this is a reality. He understands that man has fallen, right? And so we are the sinful state and that we're all his puppets, that, that every person in humanity is a puppet on the stream before Jesus. And you might think you're freed up, but Satan is doing you like this. Satan is your master and he is, he is controlling us like puppets. And so Satan has us and he wants to continue to control us like puppets until the day we die so that we will spend eternity apart from God. Okay, and so what God, so what God, so Satan sees this and he thinks, well, I see this as a savior who's supposed to come and save all of humanity, who's supposed to take people off the string and no longer can I be their puppeteer. So he says, what I need to do, I'll just, what I'll make, I'll make it all a moot point. If I kill this savior, it'll all end and I'll be the puppeteer forever. I'll be the king. I'll be the false king before I be the king. And so what he does, he kills Jesus. And that's what the cross is about, is that he thought he had, he had victory. He thought he had won, okay? Because the Savior who, said, who, who had done all the things that it said the Savior would do, healing, proclaiming, loving, actually goes and dies, a brutal death. And he thought he won. What happened on Easter? That's the beauty of Easter is that you have this parallel story, but then the beauty of Easter is that this is the day where we realize that this tragedy had to happen. This tragedy had to happen, family. You know why? Because this is where the triumph comes, namely in the achievement that God himself, Jesus, took on sin, and although it seemed like he was gone and dead and, and powerless, rose from the dead to create new life, to usher in the sense of new creation. Now notice something. I didn't say save you from your sin. I didn't say save you from your sin. I said to usher in new creation. Now keep that, keep that in your mind for a moment. New creation. Okay, what, let's talk about the history of the Jews for a moment. So the Jews, uh, just to catch up a little bit more, the Jews, uh, the Israelites, are God's, were God's people. Now, people think that they were God's people because they, they did something, nothing. It was, they were God's people because they were the people who were supposed to inaugurate or begin this understanding that God is actually the God of the universe. 
So people were supposed to see the Israelites' God and go, I want to serve that God. Wow, that God is loving. That God is caring. And so then people of different ethnicities were supposed to say, well, if, if I can, can I serve your God? And God says, yes, because there's no other gods. I'm the God of the universe. But they didn't do that. What they did was they, they hoarded their God and they said, no, this is our God. And so what happened was God said, well, because of that, now you're in sin. I'm going to, I'm going to exile you. I'm going to place you in exile because you're not being the people you're called to be. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to usher in an opportunity for all people to know me. So the Jews realized, okay, I'm in sin. We, 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 we haven't done what we're supposed to do. God has displaced us. But then the Bible says that he was supposed to restore the Jews. Okay, so the Jews, these Israelites in history, knew that restoration was supposed to happen. Okay, but here's the issue. They thought restoration was supposed to happen and then resurrection. Okay, so they thought God is going to restore us into our rightful place as God's people. And then at the end of time, what God is going to do is he's going to resurrect us. That's what they thought. And that's why when you think about the passage that we've been studying, we've been doing a book of John, where she says, oh, yeah, Jesus, I know he'll rise at the resurrection. Because they knew that at the end of time that was supposed to happen. But do you see what happened on Easter? What happened was the very thing that they were waiting for at the end of time, which was the goal of creation, was resurrection, and all things will be made perfect, happens in time right now in Jesus' death. That what they were looking for, they thought it was going to be restoration and then resurrection. But God is saying, no, resurrection restores you. That the restoration happens when you rise, when you rise with God. And so the beauty of Jesus is what Jesus does is he begins that. He begins that new creation. He begins that resurrected life, that life that says, hey, guess what? You see what happened to me? That can also happen to you. That I rose from the dead and I have new life. And actually, I'm telling my people that they can have that not at the end of time, but right now. That's what Easter is all about. What happened on Easter? The new beginning, this new creation. It started with Jesus. And he says that all of us who love Jesus right now, you have that right now. We have that resurrected life right now. And if you don't love God, but you're sitting here going, so Jesus, then God is saying, you can have that life right now. That new life. Easter is a reminder that if you are in Christ, what God did for Israel in the Exodus, you know, you heard the story about slavery. What he did when he freed them from slavery, he also did for Jesus when he freed him from the slavery of death and rose from the dead. And he's saying he will also do that to you and me. If we know God. The bursting of new life, it begins on Easter. That's what it means. That's what happened on Easter. Okay. now you go, what does all that mean? Because if I just left right now, you'd be like, That's, that was kind of deep, but there's a lot of things I'm not really getting right now. Okay, what does all that mean? What does the resurrection and Easter really mean? Let's first let's deal with some assumptions that we have, family, okay? So that's what happened. Now, I want to assert, that's what the Bible teaches happened on Easter, is that Jesus did something, was what they were looking for, he brought right now and said, I rose from the dead, and I'm telling you right now, you can rise too. You can have new life. I'm bringing new creation. Not just saving you from your sin, but new creation. Why do I keep saying that? What does the resurrection mean? Our assumption is this. We think, okay, the popular belief is that the good news is that Jesus Christ died for me, right? And it's about how I get saved. It's about Jesus paying for my sin and, and, and basically simply freeing me uh, to, to, to eventually one day go and be in heaven somewhere. 
Right? That's, that's sort of the popular belief that, you know, God is going to take me from this messed up place and then one day I'll be with him. But, but the New Testament um, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't really, it doesn't, it doesn't teach that. It teaches actually that the resurrection is about new creation and it's about a bigger picture of what God is doing. And actually our, and our like particular salvation is actually a headliner, but it's a part of a bigger picture. You hear me, family? That, that your salvation is not the, fo- it's not the, ape, the epoch, it's not, the, it's not everything, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's a lot, but it's not everything. God is saying that he's doing something in all of creation, in the whole world, and that our lives are part of a bigger story, are part of new creation. See, Easter brings into scope this, this new creation. We usually think, we think of uh, 2 Corinthians, you know, it says, it says a lot about new creation. We quote that verse. Uh, Galatians 6, it says, what counts as a new creation. And a lot of times what we think, don't miss this, we think that we are the new creation versus a new creation. See, but the Bible always says, when you look at that, he's talking about a new creation. That what we're about, we're a new creation. We're a part of something bigger. The danger, the danger, the default thinking is we can think, and I hear this. We can think, oh, you know what? Okay, I get it. So if it's about me, then, then you know, this place is, is messed up. It's bad. And what God is going to, what God is going to do, he's going to eventually throw it all away. Right? And then me and me and Jesus and all our people, we're going to float off to heaven. We're going to be somewhere one day. And we, and we see it, and we see it as like God's, that God is going to take this place and this messed up place and get rid of it. And start all over again. But you see what that says? That says something really horrible about creation. See, I, see, it seems the Bible is not, is not saying that God has said that creation is good, that what he's made is good, to simply throw it away. He hasn't done that. He's not saying, I made all this stuff, and now, you know, it, it doesn't really matter anymore. I'm going to throw it all away, and what really matters is you and you and me. But everything else doesn't really matter anymore. That's not what the Bible's saying. That's not 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, I'm going to give you some footnotes. Also, Galatians 6, uh, that's not what those things are saying. No. That's a, that's a dualistic understanding. So, I, I, I would propose to us that's not even biblical cosmology. That the Bible isn't saying that, you know what, and cosmology is like a way to look at the universe, I'm sorry. The, the way that we look at the world. Um, it's the, the thinking about the world. That's what the word means. That God is saying, the biblical cosmology, biblical way of looking at the world, God is saying that no, that I have created all this and I'm going to restore all this. So, so for the sake of, for the sake of time, I can't take questions, sorry bro. Um, so what, so what, I'm, what I'm asserting to you, what I'm asserting to you right now is that there is something that God has done in a resurrection and what it is is something unbelievable. And he has saved us and he has risen us and he's risen himself. But what he's also doing that's bigger than that and we are part of it, is that he is restoring all the creation. And that new creation that he is bursting in is happening all over right now. That's what I'm asserting, that the Bible is proclaiming. Now, let me, to prove this, let me just give us a, I think, we, I was trying to get some assumptions there. Those are the assumptions that, you know, heaven is, you know, we almost see like heaven like a couple miles past Pluto or something. And, you know, there's a God, you know, and... And I, and I, you know, this is not even a notes, but I just want to help us understand that the Bible never teaches that. The Bible teaches heaven is a, is a, is a, is a sphere. It's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's another dimension. And I will proclaim to you that the Bible teaches it's, it's here, that, that heaven is like, we just can't see it. 
And that's why the Bible always talks about God's appearing and not him coming. I'll talk about that in a moment. I'm throwing some things out here. But, but OK, so, 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 so stick with me here. So now what is the biblical picture? Let me suggest to you what the biblical picture is uh, to help us understand resurrection. Resurrection, in a nutshell, we're going to be street about it. Resurrection is, is basically, basically God the Father saying, what I love about resurrection, he's just basically saying, look, what I've said, what, what I, I told you, what I said about Jesus is true. That's what resurrection is. Is that, is that when he rose Jesus from the dead, he said, see, look, I told you. So like when he rose, it was like, oh, all the stuff you thought was maybe this is true, maybe this is not. All of it has to be true because he rose from the dead. You see that? Everything he said. So he's saying the, very, the person I told you who he was, the things that he did, the things that he told you to do, what he commanded, they're all legit because he rose. I told you that was my son. And the beauty about the resurrection from us from a human perspective is that God did that in Jesus. And he says that's the exact same thing he's going to do with us one day when, in the vindication. Is that when he rises us, he's going to say, the world's going to say, see, I told you Dante's my son. I told you. You see, he's risen. But see, but the beauty of the resurrection is he's not going to do that just at the end of time. He did that the day you say yes to Jesus. Is that we rise with him. We rise with him. But not just us. Romans 8 says the whole creation is going to be recreated. See that? It says the whole creation is going to rise. The whole creation is going to be made perfect in Christ. Not just us. Now, why is this important? When you think of, when you think of Isaiah 55, what it is, it's, it's the reversal of the fall. See, see, that's what he's doing. He's reversing the fall. So you have the fall, and what he does, he does the up. I don't even know what to call it. But he, it's a reversal. It's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? You look at Isaiah 55, and you see the thistles and the thorns and the, and the pain and the sickness of sin. And we look at our lives, and we think about the pain and the stuff that happens in our lives. And we go, man, all this is messed up. He says, what, what's going to happen is that I'm reversing that. And what I'm going to bring, and I'm going to bring this new creation. I'm going to usher in these, these beautiful shrubs and these trees and, and all these things. And this is, it's, this, it's this concept of beautiful, plush creation coming in. That's what God has promised us. All of creation, not just us. And what Jesus says, what I love about it, is that God will remake heaven and earth. And what Jesus is, Jesus is that deposit. Again, so, so you know, that's the thing. So you go, man, that's just kind of crazy. Is that really? How do I believe? He wants us to believe it. It's a faith deal, but guess what? We put our faith not in just the stuff that he's saying, like that I'm saying to you right now from the scriptures, but he says, see, he rose. And so whenever you start going, now how's that going to happen? What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to look at the resurrection. Was going, no, no, okay, I don't really get that, but he rose. Okay, what is that? But he rose. So he wants you to go, if you think, how's this going to happen? He goes, I rose a dead man and he's God. So that, that, that gives us the confidence to know that God is going to do it. That our confidence in the resurrection. What does resurrection mean? It provides, it provides that confidence. See, he's the first fruit. He's a deposit. I always say it's like Jesus, the resurrection is Jesus Christ talking about, you know, cross my heart and hope to die. I'm really going to do this. You know, like, if you don't believe it, I'm telling you, this is going to happen. And now, now, you know what? I'm looking around. And I think it's easier for us. This is, this is sort of, you know, and this is, this is what made me want to, want to, want to, want to share this today. Because I begin, you know, I read my books and I'm doing, you know, I'm passing stuff. And, and stuff that comes sort of normal in my, in my, my thinking, my theology, I'm realizing the, the, the normal default mode of us as believers today is that we have a very inept understanding of, of what's going to happen. But you can't talk resurrection until we understand the story. 
So I look around and I think we, we are more comfortable with talking about heaven than new creation. Here's why, in my opinion. Because when you talk about heaven, what you can do is you can say, oh, you know, heaven's going to be like, and you start imagining all the things you like. You know, think back, you know what I'm saying? I did it too. You start imagining all the stuff you want. I'm going to have a big old mansion, I'm having Escalade and, you know, you know what I'm saying? Right? And we start imagining all this stuff, and, and I can't wait to get there, and I won't, I'll be through it this world. And, that's, and, that's, how, and that's, how we, that's how we think about heaven. And so the, but the new creation forces you to do something different than that. It forces us to take it outside ourselves. It forces us to have the focus on the glory of God. It forces us to understand the creation of God. And so, and so what happens is, with, when we understand new creation, um, it's, it's understanding that, that God is saying that it's going to be like earth, but be radically transformed. Okay, that, that he's not destroying this place. He's going to transform it. What does that look like? He gives tons of imagery, tons of imagery. Uh, we're going to go through a few pieces of imagery. I hope this, this makes some sense for you guys. I want to say that scripture is way more subtle than us just thinking of a bunch of images that we have in our own hearts and saying that's what heaven's going to be like. And we hope that it happens. And, you know, we eat Lucky Charms or whatever. God is saying, look, I want to give you a picture that is accurate an accurate picture of what it's going to look like, but it won't be perfect because he hides it for his glory. So what I'm, let's go through, some, let's go through some, um, some creation aspects. So Romans 8, new creation. So basically, what does the resurrection mean? It means new creation has bursted in, in a nutshell. Okay, the first one is we have all these different signposts. Okay, these signposts, uh, these aren't, like signposts aren't, you want to put the focus on the signposts, but they sort of take you in the direction of where you're going to go. Okay, so in this aspect of new creation, look what the Bible says. Look at all the different signposts that the Lord gives. And again, in your own time, please take these verses, look at these things. The first one is the issue of harvest. We talked about harvest in John chapter 12, verses 24. We look at harvest in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15. You, there's, there's, many, there's many parables about harvest. Why? Because he's trying to show us something. He's trying to teach us something about what it's going to look like when God recreates the new heavens and earth. Okay? He's saying it's going to be like a harvest. There's going to be discontinuity and continuity. Discontinuity because it's going to be drastically different, but it's going to be continuity because it's going to burst from its seed. Do you see that? So, so uh, a piece of wheat or whatever has to die in order to have, in order to have fruit. But the, but the seed that comes out, the, the fruit that comes out comes from the seed. And so God is saying in essence, this new creation that God is going to have is going to be birthed from this, from this world, from this creation. He's not going to destroy this place and get rid of it and say, no, it's about you. He's going to recreate it, but he's going to make it drastically transformed. There's, this, there's, a, uh, the image in, there's an image of, of marriage. Marriage, right? You look at, you look at Genesis 1 where he, when he begins creation, and then you look at Revelation 21, and it's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. And it seems like what the Lord is saying, and when you look at the image and you start reading it, read those, read those chapters, Revelation 21, Genesis 1. You see is this sense of like uh, the, the, the heavens and the earth and new creation are kind of engaged, and they're trying to get together. But they're not yet together yet, but they can't wait to get together. They can't wait to get married, kind of. Right? There's the imagery that it gives you. It's giving you the sense that one day heaven and earth will be one. You get the image of a victorious battle. 
um, the, the war image, right? And this, this is more particular about us as humankind. Is a sense of like, okay, so you got Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, you, even in Colossians. Read, read the book of Colossians, and you see this imagery where God says, you know, he's made a spectacle of the enemies, that he's destroyed, he destroyed his enemy, right? It's a sense of like that there's this battle going on. And in essence, it almost looks like the people of God has lost. You know why? Because we're retelling the story of Jesus. The beauty of Jesus is right when we thought all hope was gone, he conquered death and rose from the dead. In the same way, that's what we do as his people. And so there's, there's this imagery that, that, that seems like, oh man, we're, gonna, we're not going to make it. And then what God does is he destroys his enemies. But his enemies, unlike the first century Jew, was not the Romans and the Syrians. That's what they thought. He says the enemy is actually death and sin, and he conquers and destroys it all, so that in this new creation, hear me family, in the new creation, won't be any of that. He'll be all in all, God will be everything, and we will reign with him. That's the imagery. That's the image that the Lord gives us. That's what the resurrection is about. The image of birth. I can go on and on. This will be the last one. Y'all going to lose your mind. The image of birth, Romans 8, this issue of new creation. Again, you got that discontinuity and you have that continuity. You got this sense of like there's going to be this bursting in of new creation, this bursting in of new life where God is going to recreate everything for his glory and purpose. And we'll be headliners of that new creation. But at the very same time, it comes out of the womb of the old creation. And that's why creation is groaning, wanting to be recreated. That's why creation is groaning. Now, see, my point is this. Simply, people say they believe in Jesus, okay, second coming. You know, if I talk to people, and many of us in this room, we say we believe in Jesus' second coming. But what we think is we think the second coming is Jesus coming, floating down, and then him taking us away from a messed up world, and then us being and floating with him forever, and then him just, you don't even care what happened to the world. Just let me float with you, Jesus. It's kind of our, our mode of operation. And I want to tell us that that just does not seem to be the biblical picture. That's the sense of the whole left behind theology. Um, you guys have seen the movie or read the book. I want to tell you, um, I think they're, they're great for like just reading and, and, and getting in awe for the supernatural. But it's not thoroughly historically biblical. I want to tell you, it's not a biblical picture of what's going to happen in creation. Um, that in, in essence, I want to tell you that that whole theology has come up in the last 19th century. But it seems uh, what God is saying is in essence that Christ comes not to just rescue us from the world, but what he came to do was to transform the world, and then Jesus is the first fruit of that transformation. And then we join with him in that transformation. And then he's going to transfer, transform the whole world. All for his purpose and glory. We are Easter people, family. We are Easter people. What that means is that his victory over the grave is creation's victory over the grave. And that we are the headliners of that, of that, of that victory. It reminds me, just to give you guys some education, I don't know a specific day, but um, in HBC schools, historically black colleges, just to help our multicultural crowd here, there's something that happens that's real funny, so some of the brothers will get this, and we're educating my other brothers. But, um, so what happens is there's this huge, there's this football game, okay, and HBC schools usually aren't that good in football, but, but what they are good at, what people usually go to see, and y'all know what they go to see, not the football, but the band, all right, right, that's what they go to see. So you got this huge classic, right? They come downtown, Detroit here, and all the people go see. They don't even care who scored, what, when halftime. That's why people are there. People are there to see the battle of the bands, okay? Now, what happens at the band, and what, what you love about it, right, is you get, I mean, you get but the drum, the drum major, and you're seeing the brother, the drum major, he come out pop-blocking, and, you know, I mean, just, 
right? I mean, just doing all kinds of stuff. And then, and the people, I mean, and you got to have a tight drum major, right? He has a hairliner crew, but what makes it even unbelievable is you got all 400 other people in the background doing their own same thing, right? And they're all doing it together. Now, if the drum major just by himself, that'd be kind of boring. You'd be like, what is he doing? What makes it, what makes it amazing is the whole ensemble, is when you have everybody working together. See, what God is saying is that creation, God is going to recreate everything. And that we are the headliners of that creation, but we are not the only person on the field. Is that he's recreating everything. Um, if you're a Christian, I want you to look at this slide real quick. Um, see, what happens is, what does it mean for us now? What happens is, you have creation, we just talked about, that God created us all out of love. And I know this is a lot of stuff, but don't miss it. I want you to listen. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, let us sing into my heart. And, and check it with Scripture if you think I'm crazy. So he creates us out of love, but then we have the fall, right? And see, see what happens here is we have the fall, and which is an aspect of decreation. Again, Satan, what he does, he is a real person, okay? God has created him, and his desire is to destroy you and to make a mockery of God. Because he hates God. The reason why is because he knows he's not God. And so one of his biggest mode of operations, when you look at the theme of Scripture, is that he copies God. He's a copycat. But the beauty of Scripture is everywhere he copycats God, he always falls short a little bit. Because he can't be God. And so what he does, because God knows that, that man has fallen, and he knows that God is going to do something called recreation, glorification, what he does is he does decreation and dehumanization. And that's what happens to us when we're walking around here and we find our identity in some girl and finding your identity in some guy and you're all focused on materialism and you're sitting around here and you're wasting your life. All you're doing is dehumanizing yourself. You're not, you're not being fully human. That's decreation. The reason why we're out here sharing our faith and doing it is not because we're just good people. Because God did something in us. He resurrected us, family. And what we're doing, we're just, we're just telling people, not out of arrogance, we're all messed up too, but we're saying, we don't want to see you dehumanize yourself. Be decreated. Drugs. Isn't it amazing that even when we do it, you even see the external aspects of it sometimes? That you see the decreation? That it actually reveals itself in people's demeanor? No joy? Drugs? Sexual addicts? You see it. So creation fall, but God is saying, no, 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 no. But see, no, then he brings the resurrection. Jesus, the headliner, right? He's our drum major. Then he allows us to be the other drum major. Then we got the whole crew. He says, but now you can rise with me. But not, not way back when, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worm food. Okay, Lord, take me to heaven. He says right now in the Holy Spirit. That's the resurrection. Is that what people are looking forward to? He says, I'm giving it to you right now in a world where it looks like you're crazy, and that's why you've got to have the eye of faith. That's Christianity in a nutshell. We can go home right now. The fall of the resurrection. And then what he says in the resurrection, then you've got new creation. We become a new creation, the Bible says. New creation and then glorification. And so then what God does as we are a new creation, what he says in the scriptures is then when he comes back, he fully makes you new creation and he glorifies you. And that's what he did with Jesus. Think about it. Jesus was a bad man of Jammy while he was on earth. Right? He was doing his thing. But man, when he rose, he was real bad. But then he said, hold up now. I ain't even glorified yet. That's what he said. Then he got glorified and then he ascended. He says, we retell that story. See, 
So you're committing God's creation. That's awesome. Right? But then he says, then you rise. You're, you're recreated. That's awesome. But then he says, then I'm going to give you a whole new body. I'm going to, I'm going to fully bring glory. That's what the Lord says. That's resurrection, family. Is this, is this, kind of, is this a lot? Is this crazy? You all right? Okay. Um, what, is it, what does this mean? What does this mean for us right now? See, see I want to say, it says there's, there's a reality waiting for you, guys. First Peter says, First Peter says that there's this reality waiting for us in heaven, okay? I mean, I mean, let's talk about that. There's salvation waiting for us in heaven. So you go to First Peter, it says the salvation is waiting for us in heaven. What we usually think, we think, okay, I got to go, you know, well, I can't wait till I get to heaven to get that salvation, so I'm going to float off to heaven. And then I'm going, no, 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 no. That's not what the scriptures, the scriptures teach. It's saying it's in a sense of being stored for you in heaven. It reminds me of last week when my wife did, we had a huge outreach. And afterward, um, when we got back from the outreach, she had lunch for me in the oven. Now, family, I didn't have to go jump in the oven to eat the lunch. Right? The lunch was waiting for me in the oven. See, I, I wanna, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to shake our understanding to be a biblocentric understanding is that, is that when he talks about this sense of heaven, is that the stuff is stored in heaven for us. Because what's going to happen one day is he's not destroying this place so you can go somewhere else. I want to proclaim to you the Bible is saying it's all right here, right now. Just one aspect of it you can't see unless you have the eyes of faith. And that God is going to reveal that, expose that, and then fully recreate things in his second coming. I didn't have to go eat the meal in, in, in the oven, but I go get the meal out and I go eat it in the dining room. In the same way, God is saying that's what happens, that he has this, this new creation, that this, full, this, this full restoration store for us, and we grant, he's going to give it to us while we experience true life fully forever here. This will happen when God renews heaven and earth, family. According to 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is the only one who has risen from the dead um, and that we will rise with him at the second coming. And how will it happen? Obviously, by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right? On earth, the Holy Spirit will do, will do for you and me what the Holy Spirit did for Jesus. And that is rise into new life. You believe this? This is the resurrection. Why did it happen? Why did the resurrection happen? A couple things, real quick. The resurrection happened. First, it's about, it's about displaying his faithfulness, okay? Now, there's a sense of inheritance. So the, re- the resurrection is about inaugurating the inheritance of God. You hear me, family? Um, First Peter, Ephesians 1, it's a sense of inaugurating this inheritance that we have. Now, let's talk about inheritance for a minute. What do we mean when we say inheritance? Again, um, we think inheritance, we, we normally think of just heaven, okay? But I'm, I want to say it seems in Romans 8 is thoroughly convincing, thoroughly convincing that what God is saying is that it's not that you, you, you inherit heaven as opposed to earth, but you inherit a transformed world. And not just a resurrected body. I think from the point of view, even when you think of New Testament, you think of Israel. I, I, it's theologically, and I, and I get it, we want to we we talk about the history of Israel and we want to respect what God has done, uh, the place in Israel, but it's, it's theologically enough to even talk about Israel being the Holy Land. Now, I don't want to get shot here. The reason why is because what God did 
What God did in the resurrection family, don't miss this, what God did in the resurrection is that he said, okay, so Israel is this place, but what I did in the resurrection was I didn't abandon Israel, I didn't abandon this holy land, I brought in the holy land. So now my holy land is the whole world. So I would say theologically, to even, to even see Israel as this apex of Sunnah I would say, I would say it's theologically enough that God has done something to say that the world now is his holy land and that he reigns sovereign over all creation right now. Revelation 22, you even see this in Isaiah 65. You see God's perfection. There's the sense of God's perfection that will flood creation. See, God's perfection and what he's doing in creation is bigger than just our salvation. Our salvation is awesome, but God is doing something powerful all throughout creation, and we are part of it. But also it shows that God is a good creator, family, that God is a good creator. See, over against dualism, which is a sense of like, okay, there's these two worlds, there's this heaven, this really nice place, and there's this really bad place called world, earth, whatever you want to call it, and man, Lord, I can't wait till you get rid of this stuff so I got to deal with the drama no more, and I can really be with you here, right? Over against that, which I would say is not what the Bible teaches, um, that's just, that's dualism, or you got, you know, pantheism where people see the earth as God, Right. It's like a living being and it's like, God, that's kind of weird. Right. So over against those two dramatic extremes, what God is saying is biblical Christianity is saying that God isn't going to throw the world away. Right. And that he's not and he's not going to act as if evil doesn't exist. That evil isn't isn't real. But what he's going to what he's going to do is he's going to redeem the world from evil. Is he's going to recreate us from evil. He's going to save us from the bondage and decay. That's the resurrection. That's what he's doing. And why does he do this? He does this because of the ultimate vindication. See, what all this is about, why do I keep going here? What all this is about, because it's about us and more, is about God's vindication. Is that God can stand up and say, guess what? I'm good. Creation's good. Humans are good. Everything that I've done is good. It all comes back to what God can do and what God can say. And, and God sees it as, as he's super glorious that not only is these things good, but then when I recreate them and I end this aspect of sin and mortality, now my stuff, all the stuff that I created get to experience what is truly intent to be. Intended to be. What does this mean for us now? Well, I just want to suggest to you guys just quickly what it means is, to be, is for us to assert that we understand that we live between um, these two ages, that we live between uh, this age of what God is going to finally do fully and what he has begun. We live between this aspect of new creation. We live between this sort of like this vellum sheet of heaven and earth that God has, 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 has burst into creation, like the realities of the new creation right now. And that you and I are part of that, that we are now new creations. If you have said yes to Jesus, you are now part of this new creation that God has done. You are now living out what Jesus did even when he was risen from the dead. So the question now becomes, how does that affect your life? I want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, therefore, my dear brother, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, I just want to suggest to us, ask yourself this question. Why in the world 
uh, does, does, does Paul say this verse? And look at the verse while I'm even talking. Why does he say that? In the midst of a whole chapter about resurrection. Whole chapter. So go back and read 1 Corinthians 15 and then ask yourself that question. I think it's, I think it's seemingly obvious and, in, and I, I think I'm in good company to say that his point is that whatever you do between that age, whatever you're doing right now as, as a person who loves God for God's kingdom, whatever, is never wasted. It's almost in a sense, it's almost in a sense like he's saying, look, like, you, you, the pain and all, all the stuff that you're going through, the things you're trying to do, if it's, if it's kingdom, he's like, I got you. It's, it's almost like salvation, that, that him saving us, him grabbing us, making us whole, and, and I'm, I'm wrestling with this as a, as a believer, I'm going, it seems that the Bible does this thing where he says, you're saved, now let's go. It's almost like he says, you know what, you're saved, you're risen from the dead, okay, now it's not about just you being holy, but it's about that biblical holiness seems to be being a, a healthy creation in God, walking with the Lord, and then furthering God's kingdom for his advancement, being on mission. It seems like if you miss that, you've, you've done something drastic, you've short-circuited, short-circuited the gospel in some way. That there's something about the reality that God is saying, even as Jesus proclaimed, okay, now I'm like this, now let's go. Let's proclaim to the nations. And not just, oh, I'm supposed to get perfect, I'm going to be better, I'm with the Lord now, me and my personal holiness. That God, that, that, that in the power of the Spirit, you being a kingdom person in this world, is the focus, it seems to be the focus there. Is that there's a sense that none of what you do is wasted. Some things Christian holiness, I feel like we think Christian holiness can either be like learning the rules and then obeying them, Right? Or it could be, you know, sort of like trying to figure out who you are, right? And then you, and then you try to live the best you can. But it seems like, it seems like the, the, the gospel, the Lord is saying, is neither of those, and it transcends both of them. It seems that the sense of Christian holiness, according to what God is saying, is about what does it look like for us to be God's people in a world on mission. Notice. See, I, I propose that when we talk about holiness, we, we only talk about the personal aspect of it. But there seems to be a communal aspect that God is concerned with, that as we are healthy, that we now proclaim, that we now live the resurrected life as Jesus intended, that we live it in a world. Kingdom of God is not simply sending people to heaven so that they can be all right after all and then claiming the world to be horrible. But it's us, it seems that the kingdom of God, that what resurrected life is, is us now saying, look, when Jesus did his thing, uh, we see him doing his thing, what he's done is he's, he's, he's provided an inbreaking of God's sovereignty over all creation. And then what you and I are called to do is to proclaim to the world that this is God's world. Holy Week and Easter is about reliving those events. That's what this is about. Easter, the resurrection, is about us reliving this reality. That God's astonishing new life is bursting into creation, family. That this, Easter is interesting because I feel like Easter is supposed to be exponentially a bigger party than Christmas. I feel like Easter gets such a bad rap. But this is the most important time for our lives as a Christian. That without Easter, it makes no sense why you're here. 
That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. It says that if Jesus Christ is not rational dead, then we look stupid and you are still in your sins. That we, the Bible is saying that because of Easter, because of this new bursting of life, this new creation, we're supposed to be partying, we're supposed to be kicking it. My beautiful wife today was like, and I don't want to get caught in people's traditions, but we, we decided we weren't going to do this one tradition because we just seen it's kind of weird. And we said, you know what we should do? We should have an Easter party. We should have a party that after service, people come to our house and we just party. And that the neighbors go, what in the world is going on with y'all? And we say, guess what? He was dead and he rose. And me with him. I've risen with him. I think the sad reality is it is, it is, it is sadly consciousable for people in this world. It's weird for us to see Jesus as our joy and our strength, as, our, as, our, as, our, as the focus of our life. And sadly to say, is that's, that's, that's exactly the same for many Christians. It's totally okay. You go to a Christian and you say, he is risen. And they look at you like you're weird and they go, he, he. And, that's, and, and, we, and we're scared to just, to just let it out and let the world know, he's done something in my life. Hallelujah. To shout out and to allow that be, to be proclaimed in your words and in your actions. To live the resurrected life. To talk about the bursting of new creation. That he is bursting in us. Because of what Jesus has done. I saw this. I saw this with Nick. Um, uh, particularly, we were talking about new creation and sharing our faith. And Nick um, uh, was sharing with a brother. Uh, we were just talking about like, he, uh, like sharing our faith. And he was like, yeah, you know, we want to share our faith, but we, don't, we just don't want to be happy about it. Or uh, the discussion went to, like, like, how are you supposed to feel like you share your faith? And Nick was like, I, feel, I get really happy. It's really cool when I'm out here serving people in a corner store. And you know what it, you know what it reminded me of? All I thought when he said that, I thought, aha, new creation. Because when, he, when, he, when you're serving and you're, and, you're, and you're doing kingdom business, it's almost like the, the, the vellum, you can see a little bit more through it. And you can see new creation. And you have that joy. And you go, oh, that's, and you almost, you, you get to experience being a little more fully human. And it blessed me when he was talking about the reality. Like, I feel good and I like it. It's a good thing. My friends, we're Easter people. Never forget that along with our promised resurrection, hallelujah, that the new world has been given to us as a gift from God already in the crucified Christ. It's already been given to us. This new world is not something that's going to happen. He's saying, I'm the king now. See, that's where all that theology comes from. You hear me saying, talk about king and risen. Now, how do you believe that, Eric? Is that true? Really? Is that true? The resurrection. The resurrection. You go, oh, but he rose. Let's go. Whenever you start going, do I, how do I believe this? If he's not our joy, man, I just want to ask us to fight. Fight that, fight that urge to bottle the joy of Jesus up. Ask the Holy Spirit to, Lord, birth in me the joy of the cross. Birth in me the joy of the resurrection. That now you have done something in me. And I don't need to be ashamed because you've done it. Now, Many times because of sin and pain, I get this, his call to wake people up from death, we're kind of scared of. You know, we, we, uh, we have a lot of pain, we got a lot of stuff, um, we don't want to hear that call. What we want to hear is we want to hear God loves you, and he wants you to, uh, he loves you as you are, and he wants you to stay as you are, uh, so you can be the person you've always been, but God loves you. That's what we want to hear. 
But where's the good news in that crap? Sorry, guys. They didn't hear me right. Okay, cool. Um, where's the good news in that? See, we want, we want the resurrection to be about God accepting us in the midst of all of our, like, our, no matter if our spirituality changes, our heart for him changes. And I want to say God is always reaching out. He's always comforting. But his comfort and his reaching out is a transformed comfort and welcome. It's a transformation comfort and welcome. He is not content in you just being who you always have been. Resurrection, if you are right now going, so what is resurrection? Resurrection means dying with Christ into new life on the other side, into new life in resurrected life, family, leaving behind all those deep sorrows of sin and all the stuff that you put your identity in and saying, now I want to experience real life. I want to experience true life, bursting, recreated life that I can only find in Jesus. And that's what Jesus did in the resurrection, is that he started that whole drama for us to say, new creation is here, here's proof, and you can have it as well. And now all my people who are walking around right now are living that recreated life so that other people who want to understand what it looks like can see it in the people who are walking that have the recreated life. That have it right now in the resurrection. That's what the resurrection means. That's what we believe as believers. That's the beauty of what we get to look forward to. God is not going to get rid of this place. He made it. But the beauty is he's going to recreate it for us. Think about it. What we're going to have right now is a time of tithe. If you're new here, please keep your wallets in your pocket and your purses to your side. Don't worry. Um, we don't need, we don't, it's not about the money. This is a time of worship. And so we're asking uh, for Mac Average, you understand that this is a time of worship. We ask you to give to the Lord. We give because we're telling the Lord that you're our king and all this is yours. And so we just want to give back to you. That's why we give. We give cheerfully. If you